Well, it is, uh, it's a delight to be here and uh, really excited about what I want to talk about in this session. Thanks for uh, coming out. I also want to let you know, I know they're going to be recording these and eventually making them available all of the sessions, but with Steve's permission, we have been videotaping our sessions. And uh, those are already, the one from earlier today is already posted at notbyworks.org. You can watch the video there. So if you want to send that to somebody, if you thought, wow, this is something that so-and-so might like, feel free to send them uh, the links. And the same thing will be true with this one and the one uh, uh, tomorrow. So we're talking at this time about Spirit of the False Prophet. One of the chapters in the new book is called Hacking and Tracking uh, Humanity. And so that's something that I want to focus on for our, uh, for our session today. Um, but before diving into the false prophet, I want to take a look at where the Antichrist and false prophet fit overall within the broader subject of Bible prophecy. So let's go back to Daniel, something that I'm sure everybody in our group is quite familiar with, and that's Daniel's 490-year plan. So we won't take the time to to go verse by verse and, and get too much down into the weeds about it, because I think it's familiar ground. Uh, but of course, it's a 490-year plan that Daniel uh, asks uh, the Lord about. He's, you know, he's, he's looking at his calendar. He realizes the 70 years of captivity that Jeremiah had prophesied was coming to an end, and he wanted to know what comes next and God's plan of the ages for Israel. And so this is a prophecy for his holy city and his people. And God reveals the next phase of the plan, which is not 70 years, but 70 times 7 years, or 490 years. Uh, uh, the word uh, week there in Hebrew, translated week in English, is Shabuah. It means a seven-year period. can mean a seven-day period in certain contexts, but in this context, it's clearly talking about years. So the first 493 years are marked from the decree of Artaxerxes uh, up until the time of the Messiah. What's interesting is if you do the math, this is kind of beside the point of what I'm talking about, but just thought I'd mention it since it's on the screen. Uh, if you follow the, the kind of the most traditional dating uh, data from Harold Honer, the late Harold Honer, uh, Artaxerxes' decree was March 5th, 44 B.C. If you count forward 173,880 days, uh, you come to uh, the exact date of the triumphal entry. Uh, so, you know, once again, God's word and prophecy is exactly fulfilled just as, uh, to, you know, down to the very day. But then in the prophecy itself, Daniel 9, 24 to 27, you see that after that 483rd year, after the 69 Shabuas, uh, some things are going to happen. Some, some things in, in this intervening time before that final Shabuah starts. One of those is the Messiah will be cut off, which definitely happened a few days later. And then, of course, the city and temple are destroyed in AD 70, a few decades later. And then we have that final week or uh, seven-year period, uh, which begins with the signing of the covenant in Daniel 9, 27. Now, the reason I'm showing you this is that everything you see in blue on the screen is related to Israel, and it's related to uh, uh, this future seven-year period in particular, uh, when this 490-year plan will come to fulfillment, come to fruition. Everything in green is part of an inter-advent age. It's a, a gap that the text itself demands in the Old Testament. Because it says, after the 69th week, these things will happen. And then it says, then a treaty will be signed. So if you just never even read the New Testament, just looked at Daniel's prophecy, you see there's a gap of time there. And then God, in his progressive revelation, as he gives us more information, comes along and explains that there's something new, a mystery, uh, that is also going to take place in this gap of time, namely the church age. And that's the age that we're living in now. Yeah, we keep cutting in and out a little bit. Um, yeah. Is that, can y'all hear that? I mean, can y'all hear that it's cutting out or is it just me? Okay, well, we'll get her, get her fixed out. It's probably that alien implant. It always interferes with uh, 
with some of this technology. I keep meaning to get it removed. Um, so for our purposes right now, the issue is we don't know when that final seven-year period is going to start. We know what will mark its beginning, the signing of the covenant, but we don't know when it will happen because the rapture is the next great prophetic event on God's calendar. It's imminent, and once it happens, then some other things uh, begin to happen. If you look at this uh, chart, which I showed in my previous session, you'll notice that gap of time after the rapture prior to the start of the tribulation. We don't know how long that is. Uh, it'd be interesting to ask some of the other prophecy speakers here uh, today. I've talked to Randy about it through the years a number of times, but uh, you know, speculation ranges from a few months all the way to years. I think Arnie Fruchtenbaum thinks it could be as many as seven years of time. Um, and so however long it is, we know that the rapture puts an end to the church age. The tribulation does not start until the signing of the treaty. Those are two separate events by definition. If you have two separate events, there's got to be some length of time between them, even if it's one second. Uh, and so my best guess is it's probably a few months. But this tribulation period is when the Antichrist and false prophet will kind of make their name. Uh, the, uh, my previous two books were all about the spirit of the Antichrist, which 1 John 4, 3 tells us is already at work in the world around us. Uh, the new book is about the lesser known uh, henchman, the false prophet. And it was a fascinating study that I did over the last year, kind of preparing for this book. First of all, going through history and seeing how every major tyrant who's tried to take over the world has had, lurking in the shadows, a second in command. And I, I have some chapters on that in the book. But we're talking today about the, the false prophet. And uh, he's kind of the consummate false prophet. There have always been false prophets going all the way back to the days of Israel. Uh, and the Bible warns us uh, about those. But we know that uh, there are many antichrists through the years. Uh, that's one of the ways we know it's the last hour. Uh, I mentioned this in the first session, but if you look at a panoramic view of history, you see that the church age is indeed the last days, as the Bible uh, calls it. Remember in Hebrews, we're told that a God who at various ways and at various times has spoken and times passed through the prophets has in these last days spoken to us through his son. So the last days is not the same thing as the end times. The last days is the present church age. It's 2,000 years and running. The, the, the end times is different. It starts with the rapture and goes all the way through God's uh, end times prophecy. So it's rightly called the last days because the only age left to come is the kingdom age. There's a transition time when that 490 year plan of Daniel is completed, kind of pressed pause after the 69th week. We're now in this mystery age, the church age, but it will continue, it will complete uh, in that uh, time that's called the time of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation. And then we move into the kingdom when uh, Christ comes back. So again, the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world today. That was the subject of the first two, uh, or my two most recent books in this sort of triad, if you will. Uh, and we know that perilous times will come, as I mentioned previously, and that uh, in these latter times, people will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, and deception is at an all-time high. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, evil men and imposters that will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So if you stop to think about it, that was said by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit in 67 AD. That means that you know, it's, deception is getting worse and worse. That means it's, we're more deceived today than we were yesterday. We'll be more deceived tomorrow than we are today. So it's getting worse and worse. Of course, it'll reach unprecedented heights during the tribulation when four or five times Jesus in the Olivet Discourse warns the future tribulation generation of Jews that will be alive at that time 
be not deceived, be not deceived, be not deceived. So Satan is the great deceiver and he's trying to deceive us now. And one of the, one of the ways that he's going to do this is through these, this unholy trinity. Uh, you know, the Bible teaches the triune God. God eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we read, let us make man in our own image. That's why, as we read in Psalm 2, that, you know, they, they, you know they, they, the, the triune God is spoken of in the first person plural uh, there, as David was writing. Uh, but in the tribulation, in the final days leading up to the return of Christ triumphant, you're going to have an unholy trinity, Satan uh, representing God, the Antichrist representing Christ. He's the Antichrist. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit is drawing people to Christ today, convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and encouraging them to place their faith in Christ for salvation, the false prophet's job, as uh, the, in, in the, su the subject of my latest book, is to draw people to the Antichrist and get people to worship him and show their allegiance to him and oversee the mark of the beast system. So everything that we see happening today is setting the stage for this future uh, dynamic duo of the Antichrist and the false prophet. So let's dive into uh, some of the current events and things that are happening. Uh, as I mentioned in the first session, the Great Reset uh, is what they're calling this. I love this cover of Time Magazine. I mean, I don't love it in terms of what it's implying, but it's a very uh, excellent graphic of what is no doubt in the minds of Satan's earthly co-conspirators as they seek to usher in a one-world system. They're rebuilding the world, restructuring it. You see the scaffolding there, and they're kind of wanting to restructure the world. I mentioned that uh, many mainstream news organizations are suggesting a re-reckoning of time, B.C. and A.C., before Corona and after Corona. Here's the Financial Times of London, same thing, a new, an article that they put uh, forth on that. Uh, Michelle Bachman told Jan Markell, we are literally watching the twilight of Western uh, civilization. Uh, Klaus Schwab says the Fourth Industrial Revolution, or what some people call the 4IR, four, four kind of the acronym, will affect the very essence of our human existence. I quoted this uh, earlier, but it's, he, they're looking at uh, solutions that will require a great deal of innovation and dramatic changes in our economies, societies, and the institutions, laws, and rules that govern them. And it's going to challenge our beliefs, morals, and religions, and politics at their very uh, core. And how are they going to do this? Well, they're going to do it the same way Satan, their leader, uh, did it, and that is through lies. Jesus said in John 8, that Satan is a liar. When he speaks, he speaks of his own resources. Uh, first thing he did when he approached Eve was lie. He said, uh, you will not surely die, right? And so here's Klaus Schwab telegraphing exactly how they're going to get the world to come along, as particularly America, uh, in this uh, new world order. He says, nothing is more effective than the power of narratives. That is to say, developing stories, making up stories, that are both pertinent and convincing to others. This is the best way to motivate those who, with whom we interact socially, politically, and economically, and to move the agenda forward. Whose agenda? Uh, Satan's and the Luciferian uh, conspiracy. So I left off in my first session, and I know not all of you were there, but uh, that's okay. I'm kind of setting the stage here again today, again in this session, but I left off with number eight on my top ten reasons why we might be living in the last days, last of the last days, I should say, and that was the glaring slide into uh, tyranny, and tyranny is exactly what Satan wants, and it's going to be uh, accomplished at, you know, through his pawn, who I believe he will indwell, and that is 
the Antichrist. In the book of Revelation, you've got the first rider on the white horse, the first horseman of the apocalypse, which is the unveiling, I believe, of the Antichrist, because he goes out conquering and to conquer. Uh, he will set out, like all the little a Antichrists before him, to kill millions of people. Depopulation is a key component of Satan's agenda. He is a murderer, Jesus said, uh, John 8, 44. Uh, and so the stage is being set for this prophetically by the depopulation movements of the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and other Luciferian-run uh, entities. Uh, but the book of Revelation is fascinating because it's, it's, it, it's kind of bookended. Uh, it's, it's one of the easiest books in the Bible to, to outline, by the way, and I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here, but you know this notion that Revelation is so complicated, I don't want to read it because it's too It's not complicated. It's simple. First three chapters are literal letters from Jesus to literal historic churches in the late first century. Chapters four and five are a theodicy, essentially a justification for the outpouring of God's wrath that's about to happen on planet Earth. Who is worthy to open the seals? The Lamb, He is worthy. Chapters 6 to 18, really 19, is all about the tribulation and the outpouring of God's wrath, juxtaposed against the wrath of Satan, the orge of Satan, same word. Uh, you've got all kinds of interludes and amazing things happening during that seven-year period that correspond perfectly with Old Testament prophecy as well as the Olivet Discourse and other passages. Then chapter 19, Christ comes back. Chapters 20 to 22 are the kingdom and the eternal state. So it's a pretty simple outline, but that tribulation period is bookended with two riders on a white horse. You've got the first rider who's a fake, an imposter, going out to conquer and conquering. And then you've got the second rider in Revelation 19, 11 to 15, and, and he's called what? Faithful and true. He's not a fake. He's not an imposter. He's the real deal. Faithful and, uh, and true. In Revelation 13 is where we get most of our information about the Antichrist's right hand uh, a man, uh, the false prophet. It's, a, it's the beast of the earth uh, who's coming out, and his job is to, to cause as many as would uh, not, to, to cause people to worship the, the, the Antichrist, to take the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast, as we're going to see in this session, is really two things. It's not only a control mechanism to, to initiate full spectrum planetary control through this uh, mechanism of buying and selling. It's also a mark of allegiance. It's getting people uh, forcibly to worship the false Christ. And, um, but he's going to cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Um, in the book, I talk a lot about the image of the beast as it relates to AI. Um, but uh, again, that no one may buy or sell except they have the mark of the beast or the number of his name. So this will be a time of unprecedented global tyranny. And to really understand this glaring slide into tyranny that is already well underway, let's take a step back and review from the Bible God's plan for uh, human government. So the Bible begins, creation history begins about 6,000 years ago uh, with globalism. Uh, that was God's first divine design for interacting with human people. It was a global uh, government. God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. There were not nation states. There was one people. They were all talking uh, to God. We read in Genesis 11, the whole earth had one language and one speech. But then after the Tower of Babel, we see a shift in God's plan, and it shifts from globalism to nationalism. And this is very important to understand because this is the same paradigm that we are under to this day. Uh, we're going to come again, as we shall see in a moment, back full circle to globalism. But the only divinely sanctioned mean, uh, mechanism of civil government today is nationalism. 
And that's why Satan and his cronies are working so hard to tear down national sovereignty and usher in a one world system. I spoke a Monday at a, a local chapter of TPUSA uh, on borders, the Bible, and believers. And that video was posted at notbyworks.org. I encourage you to go back and uh, check that out. I went into much more detail about this you know, kind of uh, survey of biblical history. We talked a little bit more about uh, Babel and Nimrod and, and those types of things. But what we see is after Babel, this is about 2242 BC, roughly about 100 years after the flood. So it didn't take long after the flood for God's people to once again devolve into, not God's people, but the people on earth to, to once again devolve into utter wickedness and utter tyranny. And so God says, indeed, the people are one and they will have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. So come, let us, again, the triune God, go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. But this is the paradigm in which we're operating today, nationalism, but it's going to come back once again to globalism. Uh, but a, you know, this, this return to globalism will happen in two phases prophetically. It's going to happen in phase one is a satanic globalism, phase two, which will be short-lived. Well, actually, we're not 100% sure how short-lived it will be. The final seven years under the tyrannical rule of the Antichrist and false prophet will be short-lived, seven years. Uh, but it will happen in two stages, the satanic globalism and a divine globalism. So the Bible talks about the satanic globalism in Daniel chapter 7. Remember, he, uh, this uh, vision that Daniel had of the beast, the fourth beast, was different from all the others, exceedingly uh, dreadful. And it is a fourth kingdom that shall devour the whole earth. See, as I talk about in the book, you know, there's, you look through human history, there have always been these tyrants trying to create world empires. But none of them ever accomplished it. Some were greater than others, larger than others, more expansive than others, but there was not one that was full-spectrum global. Yet that's what we're going to see happen during uh, the reign of the Antichrist and the false prophet, the whole earth. Um, Zechariah 14 talks about how it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which come up to Jerusalem shall go, go up from year to year to worship uh, the king. That should actually say... These should both say divine globalism. These next two, I didn't, uh, I copied and pasted it and forgot to change it. So don't be misled. The millennium is not a time of satanic globalism. That's my mistake. But Isaiah the prophet said, all nations and tongues shall come up and see my glory. And then in some more passages on divine globalism, let the whole earth be filled with his glory. This is one of only two Psalms attributed uh, to Solomon. And he's speaking here about the reign uh, of, of the, uh, his ultimate successor of the Davidic covenant, Jesus Christ himself, the, the Son of God. And it'll be a time of perfect peace and righteousness and justice. Isaiah the prophet talked about this, how unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You know, we often quote Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 at Christmas time, but few people really realize that only that first phrase it relates to the first advent. Everything else is relating to the second advent because this may come as a shock to you, but as you look around the world today, it's certainly not the case that the governments are all upon the shoulders of uh, this son who was uh, given. And it goes on to say that the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So that's all divine globalism, which is God's ultimate plan. So the Bible tells a story that comes full circle from the pre-fall Edenic state all the way back to a sinless state in uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Right now, I believe we're teetering on the brink of this shift back into globalism and the first phase of that, satanic globalism. We know that in the present age, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So if you want to overlay this quick survey of government from globalism to nationalism to globalism to my panoramic view of the 
ages, it would look like this. You know, the first two eras are globalism, and then you've got, after Noah, a time of nationalism that we're still under today, but we're returning once again to globalism when Christ comes back and takes the throne. Now, today, uh, in this present church age, Satan's earthly accomplices, I talked earlier about the satanic uh, Luciferian conspiracy of Satan, demons, and human agents working together to take over the world. Uh, if we zoom in on those earthly accomplices, they are working extensively to try to do so many things to usher in this one world system. And ultimately, Satan's man of the hour, the Antichrist, will come back and uh, take, the hes uh, take the helm of it. Uh, again, I referenced this earlier, but here's uh, Psalm 2, where we read that these earthly conspirators uh, don't like God's control. They want to break the bonds of God's control and cast away the cords of God's control. It's all about control. Satan has control issues, as I mentioned, and so do his human co-conspirators. They, they hate being controlled. They, they want complete sovereignty. They want to be God, in, in essence, and uh, they, they hate the thought of Jesus Christ, God's eternal Son, coming back to the world in perfect peace, righteousness, and justice. So I've got a few clips here that I want to show you um, about uh, some of the key leaders. Some of this may be not new to you. You may be familiar with some of these uh, people. Some of them, you may be a little bit surprised, especially if you've never heard uh, this first one. But here's a clip, 26 seconds, of Walter Cronkite uh, at the World Federalist Association Global Governance Award. He's receiving a Global Governance Award, being honored for his help in advancing the globalist agenda. And in this clip, let me just give you the context, he's referring to evangelical conservatives, by the way, that's you and me, uh, who think that only Christ can preside over a one-world government, and he kind of mocks us for thinking that. Listen to the way the people in this, the other globalists in the audience react when he says what he says. Your leader, Pat Robertson, has written in the book a few years ago that we should have a world government, but only when the Messiah arrives. He wrote, any attempt to achieve world order before that time must be the work of the devil. How many of you knew that about Cronkite? Join me. I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan. You, you need to understand this Luciferian conspiracy that I've been studying since 2007, written now four books about, is real. These people really do worship Satan. They really do think he's in charge, and they really do sacrifice children and drink blood. This is not just some far-fetched sensationalism deal. It's right out of Scripture, and it's right out of their own writings. And so they dedicate their books to him, as like, like I talked about in the first session. And, and Cronkite just says it rather blasphemously. I'm proud to sit right here at the right hand of Satan. At this same meeting, they piped in uh, First Lady at the time, Hillary Rodham Clinton, uh, to, who gave a video congratulations of uh, Cronkite. Listen to what she said. Yeah, it adds a whole new meaning to that 
to that uh, meme or that statement. It wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us it was the news. In Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1, I talk extensively about Operation Mockingbird and the state-run controlled media uh, that really they took control of around the turn of the 20th century with guys like Rockefeller and DuPont and Carnegie and Ford and some of the other globalists who by that time had had enough of uh, Christians and Bible-believing patriots in America championing the cause of Christ. They said, hey, this was supposed to be the new world order. <laughs> this was supposed to be our beachhead for, uh, you know, for, for the Freemasons and the Illuminati, which were also founded in 1776 to, to advance the Luciferian agenda. And, and so uh, they said, we got to put a stop to it. So they took over just about every element. I'll talk more about that in a second. And, 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 and they set in force this uh, plan to take over um, take over America and bring the downfall of America. And these are just a few of the key components of that. Another one of them is the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, I have a chapter on that in the second volume of Spirit of the Antichrist. But uh, Richard Nathan Haas has been the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, or the CFR, since July of 2003. Here he is with President Biden. And in this next clip, uh, 17 seconds long, but here's uh, Joe Biden uh, saying, admitting that he works for the CFR, that he takes his orders from them. Of course, with Biden, you never know whether this was a Freudian slip or just some kind of bizarre non sequitur. Who knows what they programmed him to say at that moment. But it's telling that he's not afraid to admit it. Listen to what he says. And I work for Richard. Oh, yeah, he, he really does work for Richard. Here's Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State admitting that the CFR tells her what to do and what to think. Thank you very much, um, Richard. And I am delighted to be here in these new headquarters. Um, I have been often to, uh, I guess, the mothership in New York City. Uh, but it's good to have an outpost of the council right here down the street from the State Department. Uh, we get a lot of advice from the council, so this will mean I don't have as far to go to uh, be told uh, what we should be doing and uh, how uh, we should uh, think about the future. To be told what we should be doing and how we should think about the future. Yeah, the CFR is a key globalist think tank. There are others. I have a chapter on secret societies and these types of things, Bilderberg, Bohemian Grove, and so forth. Uh, but make no mistake, they wield a lot of power. Now, I want you to know I am an equal opportunity offender. I don't just pick on the... Uh, the, the left, uh, because I don't believe in the right-left paradigm. I encourage you to read Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1, and the whole chapter on the fake left-right paradigm. So I, I'm happy to offend you know, uh, Democans and Republicrats or, or the Uniparty, uh, whatever. So just to be fair, here's a clip from uh, Dick Cheney, uh, who's admitting that he tried not to talk much about the CFR when he was running for re-election back in his conservative state of Wyoming. Yeah, I never mentioned that to my uh, conservative constituents. So we're talking about Satan's human accomplices uh, that are sort of paving the way for that coming false prophet who will be the, the second in command of uh, the Antichrist. And in the book, the new book, I have a whole chapter uh, focused on Yuval Noah Harari. A lot of people have talked about him. 
but I spent quite a bit of time digging up some research and some interviews and some things he did early in his career, things that you're probably not uh, aware of, and so I encourage you to, to check that out. I call him a wolf in wolf's clothing, because unlike many Luciferians, Harari's not even attempting to hide his evil machinations behind a well-tailored suit of wool uh, in wool's sheep's clothing, but he's brazenly declaring in broad daylight what the transhumanist elites and uh, uh, others have been whis whispering behind uh, closed doors for decades. Um, so uh, here's a couple of uh, quotes or some clips from him and some um, quotes. This one's uh, just under two minutes. He's talking about how COVID is critical for getting people to accept total biometric surveillance. The subtitle of this presentation and also a chapter in the book is Hacking and Tracking Humanity. How will the beast and false prophet who are not omniscient, omnipresent, or omnipotent be able to exert full spectrum control and turn this into a prison planet? Uh, well, they'll need help and they're going to use all kinds of technology and biodigital convergence and, and things uh, like this. And so listen to um, this uh, clip as he talks about total biometric surveillance. And because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. We want to stop this epidemic. We need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under the skin. What we've seen so far is corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet, Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine power of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to live in the new life. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Yeah. So, I mean, it gets even more blasphemous than that. I, so many of his quotes are coming to my mind from, from, from writing that book recently, but I think I've got some of them coming up in the slides, so I don't want to bury my own lead here. But um, uh, it, it's all about hacking us. He thinks of humanity as hackable algorithms, basically. He said, I think the most important thing for people to realize about living in the 21st century is that we are now hackable animals. He said, there is somebody out there who is right now trying to hack you. And not just one, Amazon is trying to hack you, Google is trying to hack you, Coca-Cola is trying to hack you, and the Russians and the American government and the Chinese, they're all trying to hack you right now. Um, 
Here's a two and a half minute clip where he's talking about in a presentation uh, on the future of humanity. And he talks about how organisms are really just algorithms. It's all about brain-computer interface. It's all about artificial intelligence, the types of things that I'm going to touch on as we go through this presentation uh, today, but also that we go into much greater detail on in the book. So listen to this uh, segment. You can already summarize 150 years of biological research since Charles Darwin in three words. Organisms are algorithms. This is the big insight of the modern life sciences, that organisms, whether viruses or bananas or humans, they are really just biochemical algorithms. And we are learning how to decipher these algorithms. Now, when the two revolutions merge, when the infotech revolution merges with the biotech revolution, what you get is the ability to hack human beings. And maybe the most important invention for the merger of infotech and biotech is the biometric sensor that translates biochemical processes in the body and the brain into electronic signals that the computer can store and analyze. And once you have enough such biometric information and enough computing power, you can create algorithms that know me better than I know myself. And humans really don't know themselves very well. This is why algorithms have a real chance of getting to know ourselves better. We don't really know ourselves. The algorithm tracks your eye movements, your blood pressure, your brain activity, and tells you who you are. Once we have algorithms that can understand me better than I understand myself, they could predict my desires, manipulate my emotions, and even take decisions on my behalf. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. In the coming decades, AI and biotechnology will give us godlike ability to re-engineer life and even to create completely new landscapes. After four billion years of organic life, shaped by natural selection, we are about to enter a new field of inorganic life shaped by intelligent design. Our intelligent design is going to be the new driving force of the evolution of life. So far be it from me to play pin the tail on the false prophet, but I really think he is one of the leading candidates, if the Lord were to come back in our day, uh, to fulfill that role. He checks all of the boxes, and that's why I have a whole chapter uh, on him uh, in the book. Uh, here he is in a 30-second quote talking about how science is not really about truth. Well, we kind of knew that already from the whole control of virus scandemic that we all just lived through. But he goes on to say, ad admittingly, it is about power. And he said, for the first time in history, it is possible to completely eliminate privacy. Something fundamental has changed. Listen to this. Science is not really about truth. It's about power. For the first time in history, it's possible to completely eliminate privacy. It was just never possible before, 
And it is possible now. Something fundamental has changed. Mm -hmm. When dictators always brag about completely eliminating privacy, monitoring everybody all the time, and knowing everything you do, and not just everything you do, but even everything you, you think and everything you feel, they could never do it. Because it was technically impossible. Now it's possible. So notice what he said. Dictators have dreamt of completely eliminating privacy and monitoring everybody all the time. That's exactly what we read in the prophetic portions of Scripture. And he's saying now it is possible. They want to hack humanity for total uh, surveillance. And, um, you know, this guy is so evil just in terms of his moral compass uh, too, which we get a picture of. Assume We don't have a whole lot of data about the false prophet in the Bible. We have a, a lot more about the Antichrist. But assuming that the Antichrist is going to pick someone who's from his ilk, we can assume that they're, they're cut from the same mold. We know they're both working at the behest of Satan, uh, so they're Satanists. Uh, but uh, he is just, he's morally decrepit. He brags about, in one interview that I cite in the book, about how, of course, I think you all know he's a homosexual. He's married to a man. And, uh, he's, uh, and he writes children's books. So that ought to really give you the warm fuzzies. Um, but he, uh, he brags about being promiscuous and how he made a deal with himself one time to spend weeks every night finding a different sexual partner and that if he missed a night, it was okay. He would have two the next night to keep his calendar on track and uh, just experimenting with, with all kinds of drugs and uh, things. I mean, um, he, he really does think in terms of our bodies just being some kind of you know, scientific organic compound. Now, here's what's really interesting. This is in the context of ChatGPT. We have a whole chapter on ChatGPT in the book. But he says, uh, forget about school essays. You know, everybody's talking about how you can just give it a prompt and it'll write for you. Think of the next American presidential race in 2024. This is Harari. And try to imagine the impact of AI tools that can be made to mass produce political content, fake news stories, and scriptures for new cults. Of course, he's talking about rewriting the Bible and correcting all of its uh, mistakes. Um, uh, yeah, he's one of the, the leading human accomplices of uh, this day. Here's a quote, a uh, very short clip, and I actually put the words on the screen because it's not the best quality, but this is Elon Musk uh, talking about how if one company or small group of people manages to develop godlike digital superintelligence, they could take over the world. Elon Musk. So that is really Satan's goal, and that's the goal of Satan's earthly accomplices. So I want to move next into uh, the number nine on my top ten list of reasons, and then number ten will be what I'll talk about tomorrow, and that's the gender surrender movement. But I mentioned earlier today government surveillance. Obviously, to, you know, they've got to be able to, to track everybody and to control them. If you can go off the grid, then you can't be, uh, you can't be tracked, right? And so let's talk about government surveillance. And to understand how far government surveillance has come, I want to go back to the early days of this country. I alluded to this earlier. Let's take a little bit closer look. The Mayflower, of course, was the English ship that transported a group of English families that we call the Pilgrims today from England to North America in 1620. After a grueling 10 weeks at sea, Mayflower, with 102 passengers and a crew of about 30, reached what is today the United States. Uh, near the tip of, tip of uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. On November 21st, 
1620. And they arrived on the shores of North America seeking a place to worship our Creator in peace without government interference. And there can be no question, if you look at true history, that God's fingerprints are all over the founding of America. But what most people don't understand, because even many uh, well-intentioned Christian authors and speakers, uh, like David Barton, for example, uh, you know, uh, mislead us because they, they don't look at the full picture. They don't look at all the data. They cherry-pick the data. And they don't realize that Satan's fingerprints are also on the founding of America. Within about 150 years of the Mayflower landing, revolutionary America would be an entirely different place with an entirely different agenda. From the earliest days of our country, Luciferians, Freemasons, and others, uh, as I mentioned, wanted to create a beachhead, a new sort of outpost for advancing this one world uh, system. And this North America seemed like the perfect uh, place to kind of come in and take over. Uh, remember, there's a reason they called it the New World. It was part of the New World Order. But what happened was the plans of the Luciferians were delayed when they vastly underestimated the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through believers in the earliest days of this country. They underestimated the power of God's Word, the power of freedom, the power of the gospel, the power of liberty. And so for the first 125 years or so of our country's history, the Luciferians were playing catch-up. From 1776, and remember, God's people had a 150-year head start before you know, the, the crown and, and the Luciferians over there, the bloodlines of, of the Freemasons started sending over all of these people to kind of launch America in 1776. So they had a head start, and so they were behind from the get-go. And for the first 125 years or so of our country, from 1776 to 1900, they, you know, Luciferians were playing catch-up. God used his people in and through the church in this great country of ours to spread the gospel and make a difference in the world. But by the turn of the 20th century, the Luciferians had had enough. Something must be done if they were going to usher in this uh, long-awaited New World Order. And much of the official narrative history of the last 120 years of, of American history that you were taught in school is absolutely provably false if you take the time to actually research it. So they, they wanted to create chaos in order to achieve order. Uh, it's a classic uh, a Machiavellian concept of, of order out of chaos. And the key players in the Luciferian game around the turn of the 20th century were people like Cornelius Vanderbilt, John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, Henry Ford. And they started setting in motion an intentional plan to bring down America in order to usher in this one world system as they had originally planned. It, it's, it's straight out of Friedrich uh, Hegel, uh, that German atheistic philosopher. It's called the Hegelian uh, dialogue. Um, on small levels uh, as an effective tool for getting what you want. Uh, for, uh, but it starts with, you know, we generate a problem. There's got to be a problem that creates an outcry and people say, save us from this boogeyman, this problem. And then, uh, you know, you provide a reaction, that's to save us from this boogeyman, and then we will provide the pre-planned solution. So it's a way of getting people to do what you wanted them to do all along, but think that you're helping them. Think that you're rescuing them uh, from a problem. Other names for this technique are called problem-reaction uh, solution or controlled opposition or thesis-antithesis-synthesis, uh, sometimes called divide-and-conquer 
Uh, there's different iterations of it. Uh, but the History Channel did an eight-hour, four-part miniseries docudrama that was originally broadcast back in 2012. But it was all about the lives of Vanderbilt, Rockefeller, Carnegie, Morgan, and Ford, about how they, their industrial innovations and business empires revolutionized modern society. But it would be more accurate to say they tore down America and American society. Here's a quote from Rockefeller Sr. The ability to deal with people is as purchasable a commodity as sugar or coffee, and I will pay more for that than for any other under the sun. What did we say? The Luciferian conspiracy is all about control. That's exactly what he did. He used his money to buy his way into control and influence over just about every major industry in the country, including the medical industry, by buying out the school boards and, 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 and paying off school board members and posting his own uh, cronies into the school boards so that they can then set the agendas and the curricula so that they could then train the medical doctors and that's why we we had the entire development of Western medicine which is something that for 5900 years no one had ever thought that way in terms of medicine and now it is it's all about slicing and dicing and putting chemicals inside uh, your body that was intentionally done uh, by Rockefeller and others they took over the pharmaceutical industry um, they took over the education industry with compulsory government uh, schooling that became required in every state at the time by 1918. And this was an, a very intentional way uh, to program and, and, and control the minds of our kids. It, it was so critical in this Luciferian agenda. Probably one of the biggest uh, weapons in their arsenal was to rip kids away from their family uh, put them in groups of 25 to 30 uh, kids the same age for eight hours a day, five days a week for 13 years. And then we wonder why, you know, a few generations later, everything is in such disarray morally and socially. Um, now, the Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So here's a great idea. Let's take 30 fools and lock them in a room together for eight hours a day for 13 years and wonder how it works out. And, and you think about the lunacy of this in terms of education, in what other scenario anywhere in life will you ever find yourself in a group of people the same age? Never. You never are going to you know, find yourself in that scenario. But this was by design. It was all about mind control. You know, uh, Thomas Jefferson, for all his faults, and I'm quite critical of him and give some salient quotes in the book, but he was a patriot, and uh, you know, at age 12, he had 230 people working for him on the family farm. Uh, you know, they were around adults. They were trained by adults. They interacted with adults. They learned to do things. Today, it's the Toys R Us generation. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. And so you've got 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 35-year-olds that still can't you know, figure out how to grow up, and, and it's all by... Uh, design. And not only did they take over education, they took over the textbook industry, controlling the publishing industries, and that's how they were able to control the narrative. And so that's why, you know, you had biology textbooks telling us that we all evolved over billions of years from a wet rock. And that's why you had, you know, history telling us the, the, the wrong story about everything from American history to world history to World War I, World War II, and those types of things. And by the way, if you think the Rockefeller-controlled textbook industry writing our history books uh, is, uh, is scary enough. They're now talking about having AI write history books uh, uh, for us. But they took over the finance industry as well. About the same time, turn of the 20th century, uh, they started the uh, 
the Federal Reserve in 1913 on Jekyll Island outside of Georgia. We had the chance to visit there uh, earlier this year, one of the uh, places I, I've always wanted to visit and kind of just do, do a little research and take some pictures. So we were there in March and uh, thought it was interesting, this picture from outside that we took uh, kind of shows uh, some of the geoengineering going on in the background there in the clouds. Um, but um, then, then you go inside and you see one of the rooms there that's called you know, Federal Reserve. This is where these men met uh, in secret to plan the takeover of the American economy. And here's one of the rooms with that some kind of a creature, a boar, I guess, in, over the fireplace. But that brings us to digital currency, which is another key component of hacking and tracking people that the Antichrist and false prophet will need. It's all about full spectrum global uh, control. Remember what Schwab said, we want a supranational institution to regulate finance at the global level. I mentioned this uh, earlier. Um, and again, one of the eight predictions for the world, number one on their list is that you will own nothing and you'll be happy about it. I watched a live stream, actually watched it live, of a World Economic Forum uh, seminar in which a WEF representative, it was a female, I don't remember her name, but she was giving a speech on how important this is, and she was just incredulous at the very thought that anybody would want to own something. She kept saying, why do people want to own things? It's so much easier just to lease. Why can't you just lease it and let somebody else own it? Well, that's, you know, that's what they're, uh, that's what they're uh, talking about. So this, again, is right out of Revelation 13, 16 to 17. No one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark of the beast. So central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, are really a tool of global enslavement. It's all about a cashless society, a digital transaction system where everything is tracked. It's about planetary surveillance. It's what they call a technocracy. Spirit of the False Prophet, my subtitle is Rise of the Global Technocracy in the book, and I define what that is and where that term uh, originated. But it's essentially programmable money. So everything will be tokenized. Uh, your carbon footprint, your social credit score, your medical status, your water usage, everything they can track, they'll track. And then they will use that. Once they've got it trackable, then it's easy to turn you on or off or to disallow you from doing certain things. And, and you may you know, go to buy something and they'll say, nope, sorry, we can't sell that to you because you, know, you said such and such on social media yesterday. Or you know, you've taken too many trips in your car or you, know, you name it. Uh, you, you've eaten too many you know, too much uh, sugar, your, your blood sugar level is too high, and all of this is going to be uh, tracked through biomedical surveillance. So it really is about full spectrum uh, planetary uh, control. Uh, President of Bank of America said, admittedly, we want a cashless society. This was in 2019 uh, at a conference held in Montauk, New York, uh, called F Fortune Brainstorm Finance, and he said we want to cash this Society. Uh, March 9th, 2022, President Joe Biden issued an executive order requiring several federal agencies to issue reports on the viability of rolling out a CBDC. When they got their reports back, the overarching response was we need to completely re-engineer all of our financial and payment systems. They need to redo it. They can't have people transacting business with physical commodities. And so uh, that's why in the new book I, I talk about how if you don't own it, if you, don't, if you can't touch it, you don't own it. Uh, you need to get away from digital transactions, or at least to have a, 
eyes wide open approach to what's happening today so that when the other shoe drops, you're available. You have something available to barter with and, and transact with. If you can't touch it, you don't own it. You may think your portfolio is worth, I don't know any of you, maybe millions of dollars. I don't know. Well, that's fine. But you could wake up tomorrow and log into your account and it could be gone like that. It's just dashes and dots on a server somewhere. And so if you can't touch it, uh, you don't own it. And they want it to make sure that they own it. They want to make sure they control everything. This was at a uh, meeting that was uh, live streamed October 14th, 2022 at the World Economic Forum. Cecilia Skingsley, who's uh, the head of the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub. I think she has since moved on. Um, I, I checked that for another presentation I did and I forgot to update this slide. But at the time that she said this, she was the head of the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub. And she, see, she said, blatantly, CBDCs must be combined in a package with global digital IDs. She said, you have to push societies into new equilibriums because people are like, no, no, people won't go for that. They're going to push back. Well, that's fine. You need to keep pushing them into a new equilibrium. Uh, this guy uh, from the IMF said, CBDCs would be beneficial for controlling people socially. Uh, his name is Bo Lee, by the way. And he said, institutions uh, can take advantage of the data by, quote, following the model of the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, they don't think like you and I do as conservative, uh, freedom-loving, God-fearing Americans who love our country. Um, they don't have a problem quoting China because they think globally. And in their mind, what China is doing, uh, you know, is with their social credit scoring is a model for the world. And he extolled the virtues uh, of it. He gives several examples of how companies, might, like insurance companies, could be privy to, to how many coffees you drink, for example. I'd be in big trouble if they, if they were tracking that. Um, or, you know, do I use Uber every day, he said, or what kind of working hours do I have? I mean, this is pretty scary stuff. Does the government really need to know all that stuff? They do if they're Luciferians trying to take over the world. They absolutely. Do you remember what Justin Trudeau did uh, when, when you freeze the accounts of those who contributed to the trucker protests? Uh, well, you've not seen anything yet if they are able to globally roll out uh, the CBDC. So again, everything's going to be uh, tokenized. Now, I've used this illustration before, uh, and I hope it makes sense, but right now you've got all these independent digital currencies. Some countries have rolled it out. Uh, some you know, regions have rolled it out. You've got privately owned cryptocurrencies and things like that. And I've cautioned against the dangers of cryptocurrency from the beginning, even though I had friends and colleagues who made a lot of money uh, using it. Uh, if you can't touch it, you don't own it. And in fact, people have, have seen that in recent days. Uh, but if you think of each of these independent technologies that are creating this digital currency of some kind, all that's going to need to happen someday is to kind of connect them all together. It's like setting up your Christmas lights in your front yard, and you set up ones on these bushes and this tree, and you kind of check them out as you go to make sure there's not any burned out lights. But eventually, when you've got them all where you want them, then you connect them all and plug them into a power strip, and you can turn them all off and on. And that's what they're going to do with all of these digital uh, currencies. And if you think we're making this stuff up, Here's a, a quote uh, from Michael Evans. He's the president of a Chinese multinational technology company called Alibaba Group. And he comes right out and says, you know, uh, an individual carbon footprint tracker is coming soon to a digital ID near you. That's essentially a paraphrase, but listen to what he says. Where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. 
again, at the World Economic Forum. We're working on it. We don't have it yet, but we're getting there. And all these globalists in the audience are kind of salivating with excitement. Oh, can't wait. It's, getting, it's going to be close. Here's Tom Mutton from the Bank of England. There could be some socially beneficial outcomes from CBDCs, including preventing activity, which is seen as being socially harmful in some way. Well, by who? By them. Um, you know, uh, Harari, in my quotes uh, earlier, and I'll have more to say about him tomorrow, but uh, he, he talked about how uh, with AI and with them hacking you, they can know you better than they know yourself. And then he uses the example, in, and I give this in the book, of they might be able to determine that you're a homosexual before you know it. And then he says, of course, being a homosexual, well, that could have devastating consequences if you happen to live in a homophobic country. Well, okay, well, let's, let's think about another application of that. What if it determines that you're a Christian living underground and you live in a country that's hostile to anybody that believes in Jesus Christ? So again, the, this notion of hacking you is, is, is really, they're trying to do everything they can to replicate God, who is omniscient, and they want to transcend humanity, which is what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Here's uh, Augustine Karstens. Uh, he is the head, uh, the top dog at the Bank for International Settlements, and a very top-tier player uh, in the Luciferian conspiracy. He says the key with a CBDC is that the central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use. Absolute uh, control. Uh, Pippa Malmgren is another big time globalist, comes from a long line of globalists, a member of the CFR, a uh, member of several other uh, globalist organizations. Her father, interestingly enough, Harold Malmgren, served as the senior aide to Presidents JFK, LBJ, Nixon, and Ford. And, you know, again, I encourage you, don't just take my word for it, you know, read those chapters and do your own research. All of my books have extensive bibliographies at the back, so you can check all the information for yourself. But I encourage you to read the section on the fake left-right paradigm and how they intentionally started that, the two-party system, to kind of move their agenda along. And that's the reason that even though we have a so-called right and a so-called left, nothing ever seems to change. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and so you can always tell a globalist by those that are working on both sides of the aisle. If they serve in Democrat administrations and Republican administrations, that's a red flag. And so here's what she said. Uh, this was at the uh, World Government Summit. I mentioned that earlier uh, in 2022, last uh, year. She said, I'll say this boldly. We're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. It means digital. It means having an almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give far greater clarity over what's going on. And uh, I don't remember if it's Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1 or Volume 2, but I add the commentary after that quote. I say, whenever the Luciferians say clarity, they really mean control. That's what they want, is control. I love what Catherine Austin Fitz said. I would describe this as a slavery system. So we're talking about shifting out of freedom, where we have freedom to roam, freedom to say what we want, and complete into a complete control system 24-7, including mind control. Technology gives you the ability to institute a complete control system. If they don't want you to be able to use your money more than five miles from your home, that's it. Your money will turn off five miles from your home. And this digital currency is a part of a broader digital ID system. So, you know, that's what they're really angling for is a digital ID system, a global digital ID system. 
of which digital currency will be a, a part. And it was interesting that just a few weeks ago, August 21st, 2023, Bill Gates, a major player in the Luciferian agenda, uh, tweeted out calling on nations worldwide to adopt his global solution for a biometric digital ID. It's called MOSIP, Modular Open Source Identification uh, Platform. And he tweeted, quote, 850 million people lack ID that proves their identity. So if always, this is a gay and dialectic. We've got a problem we've got to solve. These poor people, they have no way to prove who they are. Well, never fear. I'm here to ride in and on a white horse, just like the Antichrist, and help you. So he said, quote, as a result, they're shut out of a lot of services that could change their lives. And that's why I'm so excited about MOSIP, an open source technology that could dismantle barriers worldwide. He adds, MOSIP is a global solution. It's, it's a digital, global digital ID. So uh, this gets us into the Internet of Things, the IoT, which is what they've been trying uh, to accomplish with this full spectrum biometric surveillance. So facial recognition is a core component of that. Cameras, smartphones. Uh, smart technology, they're rolling out smart cities like uh, this one in the tri-state city. I talk about that in the new book. Uh, this, this one in uh, Saudi Arabia called The Line, 106 miles long, uh, supposedly going to house 9 million people. Uh, at the World Mayor's Summit in Buenos Aires last year, they had all these mayors from around the world, and not just mayors, but business leaders, uh, philanthropists, youth leaders, scientists, you name it, uh, got together and basically bragged about how smart their cities are. By smart, they mean uh, controlled. Aman Jabi, a leading uh, expert on this subject, I love what he said, never forget a smart city is just a polite word for an invisible open air concentration camp. Their goal is to limit human movement and behavior uh, to, to, and travel to 15 minutes from where you live. And of course, they're touting this as a wonderful thing. Oh, just imagine, you never have to go more than 15 minutes, so it's a lot easier for them to control you uh, that way, right? Uh, it's all about control. It's the reason ranchers put up fences, by the way, because it's easier to round up the cattle <laughs> that way. We've lived in the mountains in places where they had open range, and we've been there when they've been having to do the cattle roundups. It's not easy, uh, but if you keep them you know, confined to an area, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty easy. Uh, so uh, this is why they've been going to the cloud-based uh, system. And, and don't forget, the cloud is just somebody else's computer. <laughs> uh, I think most of you are smart enough to know that. It's not like it's literally something in the physical cloud. It's a metaphor for another person's server. In this case, it's tied directly to the servers of the Luciferians trying to control the world. So. Uh, you know, there's a protocol in cybersecurity now that you've come across, even if you didn't realize it was called this, and that's called zero trust. Zero trust. And this is where they treat everyone like a criminal, including you, so that you're not allowed to access your own data, devices, apps, computer, you name it, without jumping through multiple hoops. In classic Hegelian dialectic form, they pass this off as we're trying to protect you from someone who's trying to steal your identity. And so they, they've gone to this two-factor authentication, you know, uh, where you got to put in this code, and then it's going to text you. And, and by the way, that's, that's a real problem for those of us who live in an area without cell phone uh, coverage. 
Uh, I can't get SMS text where, where I live. Uh, we just don't get good cell coverage. And so it's a real problem when I, can't, when I need to get into my bank account or any other account that has two-factor authentication. Uh, but it's really only a small step to having to prove that you are who you are from, from that to having to prove that you're a good person or that your social media, social credit score is, is good on social media, or that your carbon footprint is acceptable. And that's where they're heading. They want to have zero trust, including you. It's about conditional access. That's, that's really where this is headed. And so don't, don't be misled. Uh, this, this zero trust protocol is not for your own good. It's a mechanism of control that will keep you from being able to access your own personal data uh, when the time uh, comes if you don't meet their criteria. Uh, from the BBC documentary Orwell, A Life in Pictures, this is from the film's final dramatized scene and where the fictional recreated Orwell makes the following ominous prediction. He says, quote, something like 1984 could actually happen. This is the direction the world is going in at the present time. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. The moral to be drawn from this dangerous nightmare situation is simple. Don't let it happen. This is what they've been trying to accomplish. Brzezinski talked about how they want to get continuous surveillance over every citizen. Uh, this was way back in 1970. That's the date I was looking for earlier. That's when he wrote Between Two Ages, 1970. He died in 2017, so he didn't get to quite see the fulfillment of his goal, but he wanted to see the piecemeal transformation of the United States into a highly controlled society. He called it the technotronic era, in which he calls it, describes it as a more controlled society, in which uh, it would be dominated by an elite who are unrestrained by traditional values. What he means by traditional values, there are liberty, freedom, that kind of thing. Uh, he said, soon the public will be unable to reason or think for themselves. And one of the scariest, most chilling things that he said was right before he died in 2017, he made this statement, today it's infinitely easier to kill one million people than to control one million people. See, whatever they've not accomplished by control when it gets time to bring down America and usher in the one world system and pave the way for the Antichrist and false prophet, they will accomplish through depopulation. Uh, so Google and the NSA, I think most people know by now that Google was created by the NSA as just a ma massive data gathering process. James Banford uh, is an expert on uh, data harvesting, and he wrote this article in Wired magazine, which he said, deep in the Utah desert, the National Security Agency is building the country's biggest spy center. It's the final piece of a secret surveillance network that will intercept and store your phone calls, emails, Google searches, watch what you uh, say. So I don't know if you realize this, but you have a bit bucket in the cloud. Every one of us does. Everything we say, watch, speak, type, everything uh, is being stored in this bit bucket. And until the rapid onset of major advancements in AI that have happened over the last year that are the subject of my new book, I used to, when I talked about the bit buckets and the, the, the uh, servers, I used to think of it basically as a risk only because they could run an algorithm to get data about you. But now they don't even have to run algorithms. AI can do it for, him, so, for them. So they've got these massive server farms like the one in Sandy, Utah, which we've driven by several times. Here's a, a picture of it. That can just hold all kinds of data. I won't take the time to go into it. In the book, I get down into the details of just how much data uh, they can uh, store there. But it's all about surveillance. Drones, Fox News says, are not just for tracking terror anymore. It's about surveilling you. Smart nodes. I have a whole section about smart nodes in the new uh, 
a book. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, over half of the streetlights in America have now been replaced by smart nodes, over half, and they want to get all of them by 2030, in their own words. Um, this is a vast data gathering network where they can not only uh, you know, measure uh, your audio and video recordings and, and, and do audio and video recordings, but they can uh, measure things like temperature, humidity, CO2 levels, seismic activity, UVA and UVB rays, ambient light, ultrasound, radiation, motion, rainfall, wind speed, particulate matter, and more. It's all about data gathering. Facial recognition, if you've been to the airport lately, you know that they're tucking into your bit bucket your uh, faces. Uh, I, iPhone comes out with a new app, or I think just did on the 12th, and it's got a voice, what's called voice uh, duplicator? Banking. banking, thank you, Wendy. Voice banking, a new, new part of the new iOS. What is voice banking? Well, you turn it on and it will record everything you ever say on that phone. So, and this is, this is their stated reason for that. It's all about helping you. And just think about how blatant this is. They're saying, well, in case you ever get a cold and you can't talk, but you want to be able to talk on your phone to people, by turning on voice banking, you can then type in what you want to say and it will replicate your voice precisely to whoever you're wanting to talk to and it'll sound like you. Yeah, that's why they're wanting you to bank your voice, I'm sure. Uh, I saw a new, uh, or, or was told on my uh, podcast uh, Friday, yesterday with Shane, our resident technologist who I have on once a week, about a new technology app that you can download that will allow not only for your voice to be replicated in a foreign language, so you say something and then you want to say that same thing in a different foreign language, and it will say it using your voice, your intonation, everything about you, It'll sound just like you speaking whatever that foreign language is. But what's really bizarre and, and, and that I had not heard of before and is, seems to be pretty cutting edge is the same technology will now actually, because it's tracking your video in your face, it will now actually change your lips on the video so that it looks like you're saying the words in the foreign language. So you just push a button, say something, and it will transform your face and your voice into a foreign language and look just like uh, you're saying that. So, so much more I could talk about. We could talk about the World Bank, uh, and I mean, sorry, the World Coin, worldcoin.org, which has over 2.5 million people on it already, and it just launched in July. Uh, they have these orbs set up around the world in key locations. You go in there, you stare into the orb, it keeps track of your iris, and then that's how you access uh, your money. It was founded by uh, Sam Altman, uh, who's the one who did ChatGPT from OpenAI. Alex Blania is the new CEO of WorldCoin. And he says, something like World ID will eventually exist, meaning that you will need to verify that you are human on the internet, whether you like it or not. I think it's certainly going to happen with the progress in AI. It's probably going to happen in the next couple of years. We don't have time to talk about implantable uh, technology, but let me uh, just summarize with how do we respond to all of this. Well, psychologists are quick to point out, secular humanistic psychologists are quick to point out that there are many things that motivate us, but the most powerful motivator of all is fear. And the Luciferians know this. So they, they know how effective fear can be to get people to fall in line, but don't fall for it. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Remember that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's the verse that comes right after John's statement that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world uh, today. Uh, so remember, the number one priority today is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. He who believes in the Son 
has the everlasting life. Once you become a, a new man, a new woman in Christ, uh, born again, born from above by faith, uh, then Satan cannot you know, have access to you. Whatever else happens, we will spend eternity in heaven uh, with our loved ones who know the Lord and with Jesus uh, face to face. But he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God uh, abides on him. So let me encourage you, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, do that uh, today. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be talking in my final session about transhumanism and the gender surrender movement. Again, uh, these, uh, this information and much more is available in Spirit of the False Prophet, the brand new book. Uh, a lot of it's available also in my Spirit of the Antichrist books. We've got some other prophecy uh, DVDs out there. Uh, what in the world's going on? Spirit of the Antichrist. We've got a, a streaming bundle, which is like uh, 26 hours of Bible prophecy uh, presentations that we've done. We've got our end times books, What Lies Ahead and the Great Last Days Deception, as well as my uh, chart book. So thank you very much and uh, look forward to uh, talking with you at our table. <laughs>